Hey there, true crime fans. It's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo from Wings 93, with another episode of True Crime Tuesday, exploring true crimes and unsolved mysteries from across history and across the globe. This week, we investigate the tale of demonic possession that led a mild-mannered family man to brutally murder his wife and family pet. In True Crime Tuesday, episode number 104, The Osset Exorcism. It was 1974, the middle of the Cold War. Tensions were high between the United States, Europe, and the former Soviet Union. And 30-year-old Michael Taylor and his wife Christine and their five children lived in Osset, West Yorkshire, England. At a time of political and civil unrest in the mid-1970s, it was also a time of religious unrest and a rise of satanic panic and tales of demonic possession. But Michael and Christine lived in a peaceful small town of Osset, which only had about 15,000 residents. The couple were parents to five children between the ages of 6 and 12, and they seemed to be the perfect couple. A happy home, a beautiful family, a marriage that was the envy of their circle of friends, and everyone who knew them loved them. Michael was a laborer by trade. Some sources claim he was a butcher. Others say he was an agricultural machine operator. But a back injury put an end to long hours and strenuous physical activity. And without a steady paycheck, the family began to struggle financially, which sent Michael into a deep depression. But as a way to raise his spirits and give hope for the future, Michael and Christine became involved in the Gauber Christian Fellowship Group, a modern Christian organization that offered friendship and support to its members in a time when the Taylor family needed it the most. The Taylors felt an incredible sense of belonging to the group, even after their first meeting, thanks to a suggestion from their friend and neighbor, Barbara Wardman. The Taylor family soon became born-again Christians, which was the only way to join the Gauber Christian Fellowship, and they eagerly joined all the church's activities, even inviting members to their home for Bible study. Michael soon became heavily involved in the church and was becoming closer with an attractive young preacher named Marie Robinson. Michael and Marie's relationship became concerning to Michael's wife, Christine, who expressed her feelings at a Bible study group at their home. She claimed their relationship was carnal or sexual in nature, and she believed there was something going on between the two of them, and she wasn't far from the truth. As suspicions grew, Christine confronted Michael and Marie at a Bible study session, where she demanded to know if they were having an affair, which both of them vehemently denied. Soon after, Michael and Marie left to have a private conversation upstairs, where Michael allegedly tried to kiss her, but she refused. Michael soon came downstairs, embarrassed, but proudly telling the group that thanks to the power of God, quote, a miracle has happened. We've both overcome our passions. As if any lustful feelings for one another had simply disappeared. But soon after, Michael's attitude changed dramatically. Marie called it a, quote, sinister transformation, like something had entered his body and had taken over. She says, I suddenly glanced at Mike and his whole feature changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike also started screaming at me in tongues. Michael later said he couldn't remember anything other than that he felt a quote, evil force taking over. He said she stabbed me with her eyes. I still see those eyes. I saw her standing there naked before me, and I was naked. And that's when Michael attacked her. Michael lunged, knocking Marie to the ground, standing over her like a lion, ready to kill its prey. Marie said she could taste fear in her mouth, 
She believed she was about to die. But just then, she called out the name Jesus, as did several others. And as the group began chanting the name Jesus, Michael seemingly snapped back to reality, and the tense situation was over. The following day, Marie visited Michael and Christine's home to tell them that all had been forgiven. Christine was accepting of the sentiment, but was still unsure about the entire scary episode that played out the night before. And in the days after the attack on Marie, Michael's actions became increasingly strange and violent. He turned his anger toward the religion where he once found peace and happiness. He began destroying all the Bibles and religious books in the home. He sometimes went out into the front yard and screamed at the top of his lungs, telling neighbors he'd seen the devil. His physical and mental health began to degrade, and he developed a paralyzing fear of the moon, which Marie tried to help with, to no resolve. Now, members of the Gobber Christian Fellowship believed Michael had somehow been possessed by the devil or another evil spirit and suggested an exorcism. So they enlisted the help of a 52-year-old priest named Peter Vincent, who had experience in exorcism. Father Vincent met with Michael and sympathized with him, believing Michael's claims that Marie had somehow bewitched him and seduced him in front of his wife. He also believed Michael was under the influence of demonic possession. The pastor's wife, Sally, believed that Marie was a bad person connected to some satanic cult and had come to their congregation as a temptress, a wolf, she said, in sheep's clothing. But after many sleepless nights, the couple had agreed to undergo the exorcism, which was scheduled for Saturday, October 5th, 1974, the night of a full moon. The couple left their five children with Michael's parents, and a friend drove them to St. Thomas's church, where there was a group of religious leaders waiting for them. Father Peter Vincent and his wife Sally, a Methodist minister, Raymond Smith, and his wife Peggy, and a lay preacher named Donald James. Now, typically, an exorcism is a centuries-old ritual performed by a priest wearing the surplice and a purple stole. They would recite prayers starting with the imploring formula, appealing to God to free the possessed person from the devil. Then, the imperative formula, where the priest commands the devil to leave the host's body. The idea is, in this battle of good versus evil, that good prevails, forcing the evil out. But the act of exorcism is generally unsettling and graphic. But in the case of Michael Taylor, it's even more barbaric. According to reports, Michael was tied up before the exorcism even began. Those in attendance said Michael was convulsing, spitting, foaming at the mouth, growling and scratching like an animal. So he had to be restrained. The exorcism team allegedly screamed at him, or at the demons, they said, within him, dousing him in holy water and shoving wooden crosses into his mouth. They forced him to confess to his sins, even sins he hadn't committed. And at one point, Michael had broken free from his restraints and tried to escape. But members of the deliverance team captured him and retied him. And one by one, they took turns exercising the demons from his body. Bestiality, incest, blasphemy, lewdness, masochism. It's said that they cast out 40 demons from Michael's body. And before sunrise, they all were too exhausted to continue. And after sunrise, Michael was untied and allowed to go home which would prove to be a deadly mistake. Because they believed Michael was still under the influence of several demons, ones associated with murder, violence, and insanity. And Father Vincent allowed the couple to return home, and in the haze of exhaustion and chaos of the previous night's events, didn't follow through on a notion to send someone else with them to ensure Christine's safety. 
because by 10 a.m. on October 6, 1974, police began receiving reports of a naked man covered in red paint wandering the streets of Ossett. When officers arrived, they found Michael Taylor, covered in blood, claiming it was the blood of Satan. But as it turns out, it was the blood of his beloved wife, Christine. Police arrived at the once happy home, which was now the scene of a brutal murder. The house was covered in blood and bits of flesh. Police officers who entered the home became ill, sick to their stomachs over what they'd witnessed. Christine and the family dog had been brutally murdered, their faces terribly mutilated, parts of their bodies forcibly ripped off. A ghastly scene. One officer even commented, of all the incidents in which I've been involved in 30 years of police work, nothing affected me like this one. And as for the murder weapon, authorities determined there wasn't one. The mutilation was carried out by someone's bare hands. And Michael Taylor, who was still covered in blood, was arrested and taken in for questioning, where he told police of the brutal exorcism performed on him the night before, saying that he now felt released. He said, it is done. The evil in her has been destroyed. Michael's trial began several months later, in March of 1975, where Michael claimed that when he and his wife arrived home from the exorcism, that she was somehow possessed by the devil. But a psychologist testified that Michael's actions were the direct result of the intense trauma he suffered the night before, and that he may have had a pre-existing mental condition that was triggered by the exorcism. Now, the town and the local media still could not believe the events of October 5th, 1974, because, by all accounts, Michael was a loving husband, father, neighbor, and friend. No one could believe that this mild-mannered family man was capable of ruthlessly murdering his wife with his bare hands. Michael Taylor was eventually found not guilty by reason of insanity and sent to Broadmoor's Mental Hospital, where he spent two years before being moved to Bradford Royal Infirmary, spending another two years before being released in 1978. The tragic and bizarre story of Michael Taylor became part of the inspiration for the 2021 movie, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, where a killer claimed demonic possession, similar to the story of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, who killed his landlord with a pocket knife in 1981. But that's a story for another day. Thanks for joining me for True Crime Tuesday, episode number 104, The Osset Exorcism. Join me each week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next time.